0: I'm Chimsy and I'm Hazel. I'm Malawian. I'm Scottish and together in partnership, we're hosting the People to People podcast and in Chichewa, it's Antu Kwa Antu.
1: This week, for the first time, we have a returning guest. We caught up with Dr. Mopatsumapandu from Kamuzu University, who we spoke with in season one. And in this episode, he's joined by Dr. Jeremy Bagg from the University of Glasgow, a colleague from the Maldent project. One of the main objectives of the Maldent project was to establish a Bachelor of Dental Surgery degree program at the University of Malawi College of Medicine, which is now Kamuzu University of Health Sciences. So we really enjoyed this conversation, Chimsy, didn't we? Did you pick anything out?
0: So I wrote a couple of notes. One thing that Mopata did say in the previous episode was Malawi deserves better. And I think having spoken to both of them, you can tell the collaboration. And when Mopata said it's heavily influenced by Malawi, I like that because it still gets to be Malawi's narrative. It's still the people of Malawi that are benefiting from this yeah, Scottish people are also benefiting from this because it looks nice, you know, on whatever academic papers are being published. But for the local population, it's like, here we have this thing that is to benefit you guys.
1: So let's start at the beginning then. I'd love you both to introduce yourselves and tell me what it is about dentistry that interests you? I've always wanted to ask a dentist this. Why would you want to stare in people's mouths and cause pain like you do? What is it that excites you about dentistry?
2: Well, I suppose as I'm the dentist, I should be the first to answer that. And and maybe I'm not the best dentist to be asking in that as soon as I qualified as a dentist, I went and did a PhD in microbiology. Though I did then do further clinical work in Cardiff, I then went on and did postgraduate clinical training in microbiology for the MRC path exam. So I've always seen myself as a dentist, but really as a dentist with a specific interest in infectious diseases, microbiology, infection control, and so on. And I went straight down the sort of academic route. In a strange sort of way, I think that turned out to be very useful for the MALDENT project because ultimately I'd become the head of the dental school in Glasgow, a post I'd held for quite a number of years. And you develop a number of generalizable skills in relation to managing a complex clinical program. And it is worth saying at the outset that teaching dentists is actually quite different from teaching doctors, because when dental students get to the clinical years, typically year three, in effect, they are working as dentists. They have their own patients, so they learn on the job, obviously very well supervised, The problem, then, if you like, or the challenge for setting up a new school is that you need a lot of very expensive, very complex kit. You need dental nurses to support the students. You need engineers who can maintain the kit. I know it's uncommon for people to die from dental decay and dental disease, but actually, the morbidity. In terms of people unable to go to work, children unable to go to school if they have serious dental pain with no access to treatment is very, very significant. And in countries like Malawi, people do sometimes die from overwhelming dental sepsis. But there are other diseases like oral cancer, head and neck cancer, which also go undetected without a dental service. So, these are the, some of the things that have excited me, one, to be a dentist, but two, as a dentist, when I then met Mwapatsa in Glasgow, to get very, very excited about the possibility of working in partnership with him and his team to establish something that would be suitable to the Malawian environment. And I'll leave Mwapatsa um, to tell you what phrase he coined uh, for the type of dentist we were hoping to train.
3: Um, Mwapatsa Mipando? If you forget about that, Mwapata means you have given and Mipando uh, chairs. So you have given chairs. That's the literal translation of my name. I'm a physiologist, but I served as the principal of the medical school then. On the strategic plan, we had needed to develop a dental school. But also at a personal level, I remember listening on TV and seeing in the rural areas, where they didn't have dentists, people using pliers to remove teeth, that did touch me. And I think not only myself, and I think a number of uh, other people also saw that TV program where physically somebody who was not trained as a dentist, but he was just removing the teeth using a plier. So a combination of a strategic decision of institution plus also that drive, seeing what uh, Malawians were going through was what drove me to work with my team to say we should go for starting a a dental school in Malawi. When I went back into history looking at why we had failed before, one of the reasons was making sure that we needed to have partners that would help us who had experience in starting a dental school. We had said uh, we want a dentist that is locally relevant And globally, by December, we'll have the first graduates that are fully trained in Malawi. And the graduates that I think are globally competent, because some of the colleagues that have come from uh, Glasgow to teach them, they have actually commented to say the level of their competence is the same, if not, if not even better, than some of the UK dentists. So the global aspect we've met, and these dentists are trained fully in Malawi, meaning they are locally relevant, they understand the environment that they are working on.
1: That's exciting. So it would be good to understand a bit more about what locally relevant means in practice. So as they graduate, have these dentists got everything that they need, for example?
3: Uh, yes and no. We have helped to work with the Ministry of Health to come up with the oral health policy. Some of the things that they have put in that policy, it has had an impact in terms of the ministry making sure that they are post for these graduates. So once they graduate, they will have a post in the ministry to work with. Through the work of Mardent and uh, other partners, in terms of the budgets going into the ministry towards oral health has increased. But we really need to make sure that what the all health policy is asking for is put in, in terms of the budgeting, so that as we graduate, the district hospitals, the central hospitals, they have the equipment, they have the consumables, and they also have uh, the posts themselves, so that we are not just producing for the sake of academics, but there are places where they can work. Because if we do provide that, we can also retain them. Yes, we should be producing for the private sector, but not only for the private sector. I don't know what Jeremy, because he's come also. He he can also add on to that.
2: Yeah, no, no, I would agree completely with all of that, Mupatsa. I mean, I think again, just for the audience, there are around about forty to fifty dentists we think in Malawi for what twenty something million people now. But it's actually worse than that if you live in the rural areas, because there's a high concentration of those dentists actually working in the cities in private practice. So I guess if you wanted to get orthodontics for your child in Blantyre and you had sufficient resource, you you could but it's in the rural areas we really need to improve things. What there are in Malawi are a number of dental therapists who train at the College of Health Sciences. And again, not entirely sure about the numbers, but we think maybe about 150, which, which still isn't many, but they're a very, very valuable resource. If we can develop within some of the district hospitals and ideally in some of the health centres, good functional dental facilities. One of the other things we're looking at, and we've already run some pilots of this up in the north of Malawi, is actually training community volunteers to deliver oral health messages. And we've provided some of these guys with training. Some of them, for example, were with the Red Cross. And they go into the villages with training aids that they've been given, Because what has to be the core of dental provision in any country, actually, not just in Malawi, is prevention. Because the commonest dental diseases are entirely preventable. And if we try and drill and fill our way out of the problems that we've got, we're going to fail. So one of the core planks of the policy is about prevention That has to be, I think, the overriding principle, everything we're doing. And the way in which the BDS students are being taught is based around these principles that are now in the national health policy. Therefore, they're being taught in a locally relevant way.
0: I went back to the episode that we recorded, was it two years ago, three years ago, People and Perspectives? And you were really excited. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me was you mentioned, you just explained what you wanted the outcome to be. Uh, Dentists that are globally competent and locally relevant, which I think is really important. But earlier you mentioned about not being able to get funding from a bank in Malawi. I'd like to know if people's attitudes towards dentistry has changed since the introduction of the program. Is it now seen as something that the community really needs or are people's attitudes still the same?
3: Uh, I would say there have been improvement and I think we still have a long way to go. And also the work that Jeremy and the other groups are doing with Dent Aid, Smile Malawi and others is bringing in a, a realisation of what can be done, mostly like prevention. But there's still a long way to go comparing to what is needed. And uh, we think these dentists will make a huge difference. Already as students, they go one district, we call it learning by living. So they spend a week in a district away from Lanta. In those areas, you are seeing that people are more now knowledgeable about uh, prevention and other things. But we are still at an early stage in terms of the changes. But, Jeremy, you were in the North. I haven't been to the North. I think the work that the therapists are doing is also very impressive. Maybe you can talk about that.
2: Yeah, it is. There's, there's another Scottish charity called Smilawi. And these are uh, two dentists, Nigel and Vicky Milne, who ran the last NHS practice, actually, in that part of the world. They've retired very recently. And so they'll now be full-time working in Malawi. I think they went out to Malawi in 2012 for the very first time with the Raven Trust. They were really so upset, actually, by the lack of access to care in the North that they set about re-equipping some of the clinics, going out delivering treatment in these clinics. Subsequently, they've worked with us on the National Child Oral Health Survey. But what they formed up in the North is something called Smile North. So in effect, the dental therapists who worked in that area, as I understand it, were previously working very much in isolation. And what the Smailawi visits have done is to coalesce them. Every time Smailawi go out and visit, they run a CPD, Continuing Professional Development uh, programmes. There's never been any CPD at all for any of the therapists up in the north. And it's become, in effect, a community of dental therapists. Word of Smile North has now spread into the central and southern regions. And there's a wish in those areas to set up similar sorts of communities and i see all of these different activities that smileawi bridge to aid dent aid ourselves medical aid international we're all working together in a holistic way towards trying to enact a lot of what is in this policy to try and improve oral health for all of the people of malawi not just those who live in the cities but those who live in the rural areas too because that's really really important
1: so just to recap, it's like £1.6 million has been invested by the Scottish government to get this programme up and running. It's a five-year programme. There's been a one-year extension. That's kind of come to a point. At what point does Scotland take a step back from this, or do we need to take a step up in terms of more support is required to get this next stage, to make this embedded and something that will run forever? How do we know when we're doing a partnership, when it's the point that we should Take
3: a, a step back and, and let it breathe on its own. Yeah. Yes. I, I can. I can have that. My apologies. I think uh, those that know Africa, it rains cats and dogs. So I've had to come out. <laughs> it's raining heavily. Yes. I think from early on, the way we structured it, we made sure that it's something that can be sustainable. So though it started as a project, it's embedded in the university. I think that's the first thing to know. It is a department under the Camus University. It has got its own budget. We recruited faculty through the Mardent and through the World Bank funding, we've sent them for training. So the first five years and out the next two years, we'll still need support of our colleagues in terms of teaching from Scotland and other countries. Until these Malawians return, As they return, they will take up the teaching, which is required. However, I think the global aspect is important. We cannot completely stop working with colleagues from Scotland and other places, because that's what brings in the learning and internationalization of the program, which is required at at any high learning institution. So we will never come to a point where I would say we don't need them, but it is owned and led by Malawians. And I think that's very important to stress. In other quarters, sometimes you would have people from the West to say, we are bringing a program or a project we want to do. And when they go back, that project won't survive for a long time. This was done in reverse. We need the support. We work in terms of a symbiotic, but it's owned by Malawians. The other part that maybe we don't talk much is also the benefit that our colleagues from the West, in this case from Glasgow and others, do get. We are able to host students from University of Glasgow and other universities who come and get exposed to conditions which maybe they have just read, they've never seen.
2: And in terms of support with teaching, it doesn't have to be people coming from Scotland You know, there will be colleagues in dental schools in Zambia, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, for example, who maybe have a skill set that is missing at the minute at KUHES, but KUHES may well have somebody there, like a maxillofacial surgeon, who could support a gap in one of the other schools in neighboring countries. And it's relatively inexpensive to share faculty across local borders, rather than flying people in from miles away. What my own sort of, In my mind, my ambition would be would be almost to establish something equivalent to an organization we have in the UK called Dental Schools Council, where the heads of all the dental schools will meet two or three times a year to discuss joint issues, ways in which we can collaborate and so on. And I think it wouldn't be terribly difficult to establish something of that type.
1: It's a great partnership by the sounds of it. We're hearing about the devaluation of the kwacha at the moment. And I was wondering if there's anything that you're finding challenging right now that other projects who are listening to this might be able to relate to. Yeah,
3: uh, qu- quite a number. Uh, when you look at just the cost of living, you know, it's, I think you know 44% devaluation uh, on top of another 26 The cost of uh, consumables that we we'll would need for the learning of this program have gone up. The students require to have consumables for their uh, work. And all these consumables, most of them, you have to import them from outside. So if you don't have Folex and if you cannot have a supplier, it becomes a problem in terms of the delivery of the program. I talked about the construction that we are going to have through the funding of the World Bank. When we were being given this, that was two years ago. But now when you look at the construction costs, it has gone up. The other parties would love to have our students exposed to other environments, like, say, sending them to the UK, sending them to South Africa. The economy won't allow that. We hope that we won't face a brain drain. The people that we are investing to train, we hope that they will come back and that we will be able to retain them within the institution. Uh, Lastly, is also sometimes a fear that when we are putting for grant applications, if if the economy, the global economy is not working well, I think uh, you have challenges of cuts uh, through the UK government and other things, those have impact uh, on the local level.
2: Just coming back to the issue of elective exchanges, We have in the past had our own dental students going to countries like Malawi for electives. My concern about that has always been it's a one-way traffic. Nothing's settled yet, but I have been having very recent discussions uh, with a colleague at the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Glasgow about this. And there might be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel in terms of identifying some funding to help support bringing a small number of Malawian students to Scotland. I'd be much happier about the electors if it were a two-way traffic. The last aspect of the project, which I think I feel we haven't really nailed yet, but still desperately needs doing, training to young biomedical engineers on how to fix and install dental equipment. And we had actually looked at a possible link up with the Malawi University of Science and Technology, who run a biomedical engineering degree programme. We have done some joint work with a British organisation called Medical Aid International, who run online training what we now need is to develop more specific bespoke modules around dental equipment and that's the piece of work that i wish we had done by now but for various reasons we we haven't managed to nail but i really think that's something we need to continue to pursue not just in the context of dental equipment but in the context of healthcare equipment uh, generally thank you
3: it's only because of this the kind of partnership that we had, where we respect each other, we listen to each other. When we look back, uh, maybe at the Lake Malawi with Jeremy, both of us having retired, we can look back and say we did something good to the society. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a journey that uh, one of my highlights of my academic life is to see this in fruition i get amazed myself to say what we have achieved as a team yeah
1: wonderful thank you very much both of you for joining us for this really interesting conversation how's the rain is it still pouring
3: it has stopped now and actually i I could actually brag about the 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 garden now
1: oh my goodness yeah show us your garden i want to see It looks
3: beautiful. It's mango time this time, so you get fresh mangoes and avocado fruit. So, Jeremy, if you come again, I'll give you one.
1: Oh, wow. I'm seeing these beautiful avocados growing on your tree. We're really easy to get in touch with. Just email us at people2peoplepod at gmail.com. You can give us your reactions and your ideas for future episodes. We can also be reached through social media, on Facebook, on Instagram and on X, and we really do love to hear from you. This is a podcast for the whole community and everybody is welcome to get in touch.
0: The People to People podcast is independently produced by us, Chimzidori Dory and Hazel Darwin Clements, but was commissioned by the Scotland-Malawi Partnership.
1: We'll be played out today by Moyenda, a fabulous band with a blend of Malawian and Scottish music who... I can't believe we've not played before, quite frankly. This recording was at the most recent Scotland-Malawi partnership annual gathering in Glasgow.